Hi, everybody, and welcome to another amazing episode of the Infrastructures Code podcast. My name is Ohad Meislish, and I'm a host for today. Uh, you can follow me at uh, DevOps Ohad in Twitter. And today we have, wow, an amazing guest that really uh, changed the history of Infrastructures Code or Cloud with Code, Adam Jacob. Nice meeting you, Adam. Hi. Ah, nice meeting you too. Can what a nice thing to say. <laughs> Thank you. What, yeah. what what a nice thing to do, creating <laughs> uh, creating chef. So let's uh, yeah. let's talk about your role in the history of uh, moving cloud from ClickOps to code. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I created Chef uh, um, out of a consulting company that I was running with uh, that I had with some friends, and then yeah, that became that became Chef. And yeah, we were sort of present at the creation of of a lot of the sort of modern DevOps movement. And then before that, I was a big CF engine and puppet user. Um, yeah, my most of my professional career has been building in that space. So let, let's talk more about that. Why why you created Chef? Um, well, I mean, there were a couple of practical reasons. So this was back in 2007, right? 2006, 2007. Um, we ran a consulting company that built fully automated infrastructure for startups. So basically you like, you know, you paid us a flat fee and then we would go build all, we would automate all your infrastructure as quickly as we could. And how we made a big profit on that work was that we were super fast at, at automating everything. So it was, you know, operating system installation, monitoring and trending, um, application deployment, um, uh, um, everything, all the things, identity management, all that stuff. Um, and the fastest we could turn one around was like 24 hours. So we were really good at, at fully automating people's infrastructures. The, uh, and we were using Puppet to do it at the time. Um, there were just a couple of things that were sort of in the way. So we were very, one of the folks who were really early, we weren't the only ones, but we were early to thinking about trying to automate everything. Um, so thinking about every single system, every single package, every single thing you do being automated. And the tools just didn't work very well as the complexity increased. So, you know, Puppet was at the time was great um, on many levels. But once you started to have, you know, hundreds or thousands of of discrete pieces of configuration you wanted to manage, um, we started to run into issues around how um, around how Puppet sort of thought about order. So it would occasionally do things out of order that would then cause bugs, which then, you know, there were always ways to work around, but it was sort of a pain. And so Chef was really born from us selling automated infrastructure to customers and then winding up in a situation where, you know, one time out of every, you know, one time out of 30, the puppet run would fail and we wouldn't know why. And so, uh, so the two things that really brought us to Chef was how do we solve that problem of thinking through how do we like express what we want and make sure that it happens the same way every time? How do we make sure that it's fast enough and scalable enough to sort of live in that cloud in that what was an emerging then sort of world of cloud computing? Um, and and how do you how do you think about scaling that system in the large? So if you were going to use this infrastructure automation to run the largest infrastructures in the world, so like Facebook, for example, wound up rebuilding all of their infrastructure on top of Chef, um, still to this day, I believe, using Chef to do all that stuff in their data centers. Um, you know, how do you build a configuration management system that scales to that level? And those were sort of the challenges for us. 
Awesome. So I think you've mentioned 2007 when, when you started doing that. Yeah. Uh, public clouds were uh, just in the, in the you know, early, early, early days. Yeah, EC2 and, and S3, basically. Yeah. So though EC2, uh, virtual machines, S3, uh, storage, not too many types of, uh, of cloud resources. But later on, AWS and then uh, Azure and GCP evolved. And the need for a dynamic infrastructure, I believe, uh, evolved over time. How do yeah. you look backwards and see the, the role of Chef and maybe other configuration management uh, frameworks versus infrastructure as code, uh, maybe such as Terraform that was created to, to focus on the infrastructure? What, what are your thoughts about uh, this, uh, this change? Yeah, I mean, the configuration management world was, was structured around more generic compute, right? So yep. as... as when the challenge was, how do I make generic compute specific? The answer was configuration management, and we were great at it, you know? Um, and Chef in particular was great at very complicated infrastructures with really big, complex requirements. Um, as the cloud evolved, more and more of what would have been configuration management complexity, right? How do I deploy this highly available application or databases across generic compute and arbitrary data centers with, you know, arbitrary network designs, all of those sorts of things? started to become things that happen behind API calls in cloud providers, right? It was like, oh, if I want a highly available Postgres instance, I don't need a bunch of configuration management to do that. I can just make a call to RDS, right? And now what I have is, is, a, is, is a client. And I think you can look broadly at the evolution of Terraform um, and of Pulumi as roughly Puppet and Chef um, in terms of the varying approaches to the, to the concept. One of the things Chef kind of pioneered was the idea that your configuration management should be written in a, as a, as an internal DSL to a programming language, um, that I didn't, I didn't want an external DSL that constrained me. I wanted a full programming language to solve my problem. Pulumi, absolutely in that same camp, right? Like you should be using a programming language to solve this problem because what you're doing is writing is programming. And you can look at Terraform and Puppet, and they've both sort of evolved into general purpose programming languages, right? HCL has loops now and functions, and you can do all kinds of crazy shit that you couldn't do in the beginning. But that evolution was basically a natural extension of the fact that the configuration management problem had evolved beyond how do I configure generic compute nodes to how do I assemble all of these various API pieces together to, to make it work. Um, and then they had their own problems, which were that like, you know, now you had the idea of like state starts to creep in where, you know, state management for configuration management was easy because you would just look at the compute node you were on and make decisions in the cloud. It was harder because the gathering all of that data, how do you store it? When does it update? How do you know what the drift is like became a different, a different layer of, of, of problems. So I think, you know, Terraform and Pulumi both are evolutions of that same configuration management trend just pointed at the idea that most of what we're configuring at this point are APIs. Definitely. So now let's say the DevOps engineers, they uh, need to manage their applications and infrastructure in the cloud. And maybe they're using both infrastructure as code, such as Terraform, Pulumi, or uh, let's say CDK, if you mentioned uh, the chef approach, I would uh, also add CDK to, to the conversation maybe. So they need to do both, but maybe they look at it from the technical perspective that they need to implement and write this code. And correct me if I'm wrong, but this is maybe the reason 
why you started the system initiative to look at that from the use case and the day of life of, yeah. of the DevOps engineer. Is that, is that the right thing to say? That's totally fair. I think for me, my, my experience watching that, watching us sort of go and take DevOps into the world was that we had all these fantastic tools like Pulumi, like Terraform, like the CDK, um, you know, uh, incredible CI CD platforms, Docker, Kubernetes, all this stuff has evolved over the years um, to, to, to solve different pieces of the puzzle in terms of how we're going to put the stack together or how we're going to manage um, our, our infrastructure or how we're going to handle these complex deployments, especially when we think about what's that boundary between application developers and, and operations people. I think... What is, what is this boundary? Can you talk more about it? Well, so ideally, it's a very porous boundary. <laughs> so, you know, what we know about outcomes in DevOps are that when teams collaborate together closely, um, the results are amazing. And the more the more stuff we put in between the collaboration between software developers and operations people, the worse the outcomes get. Um, this is why if you look at the Dora report, most people are stuck in the middle, right? Most people uh, who are doing DevOps, they're like, yep, we deploy you know, sometime between every month, every week and every month, uh, you know, our failure rate is, you know, in the 16% to 60% range are, you know, like, those are not great outcomes. If you think about our aspirations for DevOps, right? They are great outcomes, if you remember what it was like in 2006. But, you know, it's not like if you read the DevOps handbook, it's not what it tells you you want. We're like, hey, we want the safe deploy of software into production tens, hundreds, or thousands of times a day through a collaborative process with all these different people, that collaborative process, by and large, hasn't emerged. Instead, what's emerged is a series of tools, all of which are fabulous on their own, that when you string them together, create a workflow that sucks. Like actually doing DevOps work, actually sitting down and saying, hey, who's how do, where do we put this Terraform code? How does it get into this pipeline? How does that dovetail with the application deployment architecture? How do those two, how do we communicate? Like our best answers to that is essentially this constant retreading of building portals. We're like, hey, you know what we'll do? We'll just like try to box it up. You can have any color you want as long as it's black. Um, and as soon as you have to like get into the details of what's really happening, you're just, it's like the stars have opened up unto you. Do you know what I mean? And you just need to eat the whole complexity of everything including, you know, learning how to do the infrastructure as code layer and how do we program it and how do I understand how that relates to the actual cloud resources and how are they different and when can I make changes and where can I make changes? And that experience is, let's just call it bad. Like from a pure user experience perspective, it's kind of awful. Um, and I felt that way toward the end of my time at Chef that like we had gotten to a spot where I could tell people how to do it. And if they did what I said, then it would work. And also no one could actually execute it the way that it needed to be because it was just too fragile. Like you would make different choices or small, small decisions about the shape of a pipeline or small decisions about the decision about how people will work together had huge ramifications for your eventual success. And I just came to believe and do believe now that that's because we just fundamentally didn't design the system around collaboration. We didn't say, well, how would we build a system that allows people to collaborate together to solve these problems? What would a system like that look like even? Um, and then build from there. And so that's what I've been spending the last four years doing at System Initiative is running a series of experiments 
into if you wanted to build a system that provided an order of magnitude better return on the results of people collaborating together on these DevOps problems, what would that be? And and so basically you have a, a company, you have a product called the System Initiative. I also saw that you have your own open source. Can you tell us a bit more about uh, your uh, commercial product and the open source and uh, zoom in? Yeah, so, yeah, so it's um, all the software is open source. So every every line of code that is in System Initiative is open source. Um, the Our commercial model is really straightforward. Um, we open source all the software that builds System Initiative, and then System Initiative itself is a commercial product that we sell. So anyone can take the software, and you can do whatever you'd like with it. What you can't do is call it System Initiative. Yeah. So uh, so if you know if you took it and you wanted to make like OHOD's version, you could totally do that. You could call it OHOD. Um, that'd be great. We can collaborate in the upstream. Um, but what we build, what we make and produce is system initiative and we sell it for money. Um, so it's roughly the same model as Red Hat. Um, and yeah, that's a, it's, it's, that's because we really believe that if what you're doing is trying to transform the way people work, then you can't put limitations on how people find value in that transformation. So if you find value in that transformation by taking system initiative and running it yourself or even distributing it yourself or competing with me, great. I want you to do that because what I want is that technology to go into the world and be transformative in your life. Awesome. So let's talk more about, about this approach. So for, from, from your perspective, the DevOps engineers need to have like a centralized place in which they uh, declare their, their decisions and later they, those decisions generate code that does the the needed things right whether it's uh, <laughs> yeah. calling the apis of the uh, of the cloud uh, of the cloud vendor and provisioning and updating yeah. the infrastructure i i think if you take a step even further into the like nerdy vortex of of how it works there's there's sort of four things that are wrong in the current approach so um but but really you can focus in on a few so one is that there's um the the collaboration and the feedback loops are quite bad. So if you look at how long it takes to know if what you've said is right or wrong, so you're writing some Terraform code, um, how long before you know if that Terraform code results in a working infrastructure that runs your application? And the answer is poof, hard to say, right? The, the bigger it gets, the longer it'll take, right? So to know for sure, you have to go build all the infrastructure already. But even to know in theory, like, how do you know what you've configured? How do you know if it would work? How do you know if it meets the corporate policies that are in place? Like there's a huge problem of just how do we know if what we think we want is even going to work at all? Um, and then and then there's the feedback loops of once it's running, how's that working? Does it, are you, is it, has it been changed outside of your purview? Do you understand um, what needs to happen next? All the day two stuff, all those things are really quite poor feedback loops. Um, that question of feedback loops led us to say, well, if we want to fix those feedback loops, one of the things you have to do is you can't just call the cloud provider directly because it's too slow. So we started building a simulation that said, what if we built this high fidelity model of how all this infrastructure in the cloud functions? And then what you interacted with was this high fidelity model, the simulation of the real thing. And then we could start putting policy inside that simulation. So we built this big simulator in the same way that like, you know, if you watch Formula One, the cars go around the track every weekend, 
but they have big simulators back at the base where they're simulating every facet of that car. They're building a digital twin of the car and they use that simulator to decide what the setup should be for the car before they run the race. So the system initiative basically works the same way. We're building, we're a system for building this big simulator of your actual architecture. Um, and the way that works under the hood is it's a big hypergraph. It's a big multidimensional graph where each configuration value is itself the result of a, of a function. So you can imagine like a, and it's reactive to its inputs. So you write code that describes that reacts to its inputs to set values. And that's where we can start getting intelligence. So you can say things like, Hey, my application lives in this Docker container. It exposes itself on port 80. It has a relationship to a core OS image and a relationship to a load balancer and a relationship to a security group. And through those relationships, we can infer that what you want is the security group to open port 80. You want that Docker container to run on core OS and expose itself. You want a load balancer that creates a load balancer pool for all the instances that are running that application. Um, and all that's inferable automatically by this graph. Um, you express that stuff visually. So we allow you to basically draw a diagram that describes those relationships. Um, and we can give you immediate feedback loop on that diagram. So we can say without actually doing anything, Hey, this Docker image looks like it would work or I can't find it. It's not real. You, you have a typo, right? Um, or it doesn't make sense to configure this load balancer this way. And you can start to apply corporate policy that way. And the side effect is that, uh, when we give you these interfaces, we can make them multiplayer. So we can make it work more like Notion or Figma or Google Docs and less like Terraform in your own editor alone. Um, and the si and what it does is then make it easier and safer and faster for people to actually do this work together. Got it. Uh, so just to make sure I, I fully understand, you add your own, uh, basically, thanks to the digital twin, you're, you are capable of uh, ensuring that uh, whatever the DevOps engineer designed uh, will work and uh, and make sense and is uh, according to to the needed policies. Is that the right thing to say? Yeah, totally. You can also use that same digital twin to go the other way, right? So we've separated out in in tools like Terraform or Pulumi. There's a state that gets tracked where the code is the source of truth. So we say that the source of truth is the code we write. And then the cloud provider is going to get manipulated to match that source of truth. Um, in system initiative, we break that apart and we say that they're actually both true at the same time. There's the truth of what's actually been deployed in the resources. That's a thing we're tracking separately all the time. Then there's the truth of what you say you want hypothetically. And that's also true in that hypothetical instance that we're talking about. Um, and what a human being does is decide how do I reconcile the two? Like, if there's a delta, what do I do? Um, and so, so by thinking about the flow that way, um, what it enables is a much easier way to think about collaborating in all sorts of different circumstances. So a good example would be if there's a production outage and you know how to fix it in the AWS console, you can just go fix it in the AWS console and have system initiative update the model backwards, as opposed to in Terraform land where you would need to go figure out like, well, how do I change this in Terraform? And then how do I run that thing? And how does that make sure it happens? Or, or I do go fix it in the console, but I have to make sure no one runs Terraform until we get the right update. Right. And it's all very high wire acty. Right. Got it. Got it. So ju just to basically summarize, this approach is a centralized 
a system that uh, allows you to declare of uh, you know your provisioned infrastructure and have all of those uh, add-ons thanks to uh, you know the insights and the digital twin and all of the capabilities within system initiative so basically my question to you because this approach is very uh, uh, novel and, and, and promising but it's a different approach than asking engineers write your telephone code and then add your policies in open policy agent and make totally. sure you don't have any uh, security vulnerability if you use something like uh, Chekhov uh, and uh, do everything with GitOps and test everything in the pull request and yeah. Uh, by the way, yeah, you need you need to man- uh, by the way you need to handle drifts because those can uh, totally. occur all the time. So those are two different approaches. For, from your obviously uh, vast experience, what do you project that will happen in a cloud management and the day of a DevOps engineer five years from now, ten years yeah. from now? How do you how do you envision infrastructure as code? Maybe with the combination of uh, configuration management frameworks such as Chef. Yeah. versus a centralized platform such as a system initiative. I mean, I think of it this way. I think what we need right now uh, is, is a recognition that the status quo isn't serving us as well as we wish that it would, which doesn't mean that it's not working. It is. Or that, or that we shouldn't be proud of what we've built. We should be. But it could be better, and we know it. Like in our hearts, we know it's not as good as we wish it could be. Like it's like you just described a whole lot of tools to stitch together that like it's pretty great when they're all together and also getting them all together is a real lift. And then once they're all together, like managing that is also a pain. And like, I think what we need right now is the recognition inside the DevOps movement that we need like a second wave of DevOps tooling that we need people, not just me but all sorts of folks who have good ideas about how we could do things differently to try it. We just need people to try doing things in different ways and to actually innovate again in the same way that we did when we made Chef in the same way that, that Mitchell did when he made Terraform. Um, and, uh, and we need to do that again. Um, and we need to really think differently about what's possible. So when I think about five years from now, I think if we're successful in getting people to really push hard on that innovation loop and say, hey, let's try lots of different approaches, like not just system initiatives approach, like maybe the Q guys are right. And it's actually just a huge configuration problem, literally a configuration language problem. And that if we just could be more expressive in the way that we put together large scale configuration and then manipulate it then the results would be better. Maybe they're right. Uh, maybe the wing guys are right. And what we need to be doing is writing annotations inside of a custom-made programming language for the cloud, and that that then generates the infrastructure as code. Maybe they're right. Um, maybe system initiatives right. And the way forward here is to model, is to basically build a giant simulator and model everything that way. Um, my belief in five years, obviously, is I think system initiatives right. <laughs> um, but But I don't have so much hubris as to just like declare that like my way is the future, you know, like there's, we all, we all have work to do. And I think the number one thing we need to do as an industry and that I'd like to see different in the next five years is I'd like to see how that workflow works for the people who do DevOps, make their day-to-day life an order of magnitude more pleasant. Um, Like, can we just make it so that doing that work sucks a lot less five years from now, because what it's doing is allowing us to work better together, bringing us closer to each other, um, allowing us to produce better results. Um, 
especially in those really large enterprises where I think, you know, it's not uncommon to get really bogged down um, in the in the shape of those in the shape of those processes. Awesome. And uh, interesting that you mentioned Wing, uh, the creator of uh, Wing uh, was a guest on a previous episode of uh, of this podcast. And he's, by the way, also the creator of CDK that we mentioned earlier. Yeah, totally. Uh, exactly. And like, uh, yep. And, you know, I, I, I have my, my, I have a theory. My belief is that Wing probably isn't the right direction as for us to go as an industry. But like, what the fuck do I know? Yeah. Like in the end, it's, it's going to happen because we're going to go like, I want to see it happen. Do you know what I mean? Even though I think that that's true, I, I'm still cheering for wing because what I'm cheering for is the actual, I want the change to happen, right? What I want to see is that change in those people's lives so that that improvement happens so that the people that I've worked so long with and that are my favorite, like I love DevOps work. It's, I've always loved it. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I want that to be better. And if it gets better because of, because of wing, great. Um, you know, um, Awesome, awesome, and small small disclaimer: I'm a tiny small investor in uh, in Wing Cloud, so uh, I hope. I, <laughs> well, it's all good. I, we can still be friends. We can like, still definitely be friends because I think uh, it's interesting. It's so cool, right? How do you not want to? How do you not want to know more about how those awesome. things are? What what can work and how how it's possible? Definitely. One last question, Adam. Back to Chef. Yeah. Uh, can you name one thing you're proud and like a decision that you're happy that you made a long time ago regarding chef and also one decision that looking backward, a would have done differently when it comes to a chef. Oh, um, well, the number one thing that I'm proudest of, um, and will would do again and am doing again with system initiative is the, the way that the chef community was built and the way that, people learn to support one another and to take care of each other in that large community in a time of real transition. You know, if you think about what happened in corporate life from 2008 to, you know, 2010 um, or, or, you know, 2015, sorry, not 2010. Um, it was a big transition. And I think the chef community did a lot of great work helping each other um, understand how to navigate that transition and how to how to improve themselves and how to improve their careers and how to care for each other. And that's still a community to this day that I think has a lot of of care um, for each other and for the the experience of doing that work. And I'm I'm so proud of that community that it existed at all and um, and sort of how what what it the impact it had I think on people. Um, if I had a thing I could have changed. Um, you know, we learned a lot about open source and business and about thinking about how the tension between open source uh, and the community and the need for a business to turn to make money um, influenced each other. And I think it took us a really long time at Chef to come to the conclusion that the problem in that the, the core problem in our business model was that everything we did wasn't open source and that the that the monetization of the product was actually the sort of key mistake that if you look at the tension between the community and the business um i think we could have done a better job sooner of aligning our business success to the community's success exclusively um and uh and i think we we failed to do that early 
um, in ways that that both harmed the business and harmed the community um, as we as we grew. And I think I think there's a there was in hindsight there were there were good answers to those to those problems that we just didn't understand. And so I would have made that transition to a business model that looks more like Red Hats um, much sooner or at the very beginning. Super interesting. And thank you for your uh, humble and honest uh, thoughts being shared here with everybody. Uh, I think that uh, summarizes the conversation we had today, Adam. I really want to thank you for uh, sharing your insights and your vast experience in, uh, in code, in DevOps, uh, together with our audience today. So thank you, thank you, thank you oh, so thanks much, for having Adam, me. for joining. Uh, and that's, uh, that's it for today. Thank you, everybody, for joining the episode. I'm Ohad Maislish. Please go to the DevOps, uh, the IACpodcast.com. Follow in Twitter and LinkedIn. And if you like the episode, share with your friends. Have a great day, everybody, and take care. Bye-bye. Thank you.